Welcome to the Irish Baseball Podcast, brought to you by the Irish American Baseball Society. If you love Ireland and baseball, you're one of us. Visit us online at irishbaseball.org. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to episode 11 of the Irish Baseball Podcast. I'm your host, Rick Becker. We have a jam-packed show for you today. My colleague Jim Ward will go in-depth on an audio clip from Christopher Klein, who is the author of When the Irish Invaded Canada and Strong Boy, The Life and Times of John L. Sullivan, America's First Sports Hero. You can hear more from Christopher Klein in Episode 5 of the Irish Baseball Podcast at irishbaseball.org. At the end of the show, John Fitzgerald will bring us some Irish American baseball history. John is the founder of the Irish American Baseball Society. Right now, we will start with my conversation with Pat O'Keefe, sports director at News 12 in the Bronx and Brooklyn. Pat has a number of other jobs in the industry. We will talk about all of that. Thank you for joining us, Pat. Rick, my pleasure. Good to talk to you. So let's start off with baseball because that's the point of this podcast. So among your many, many other jobs that we could go into for way too long, so we won't do that, you're an announcer for ESPN Radio on Major League Baseball games. My role for those games, I'm a studio host. So uh, I work out of the ESPN headquarters in Bristol, Connecticut. Uh, my responsibility is to host a pregame show, which is generally 30 minutes. Although if it's Sunday night baseball, it's a 60-minute pregame show. Um, and then in-game updates. We try to give updates at least every three innings. We give updates after pitching changes and if anything else newsworthy is going on during the game. And then, of course, I host the post-game show. So it's a lot of fun because you have to be clued in to not only the game that is being broadcast at the time, but everything else that's going on around Major League Baseball uh, simultaneously. If something interesting happens in a game that we're not broadcasting, that's my role to kind of jump in and give the information and give the update on what's going on. So it's a lot of staying on your toes. Uh, it's an intense, probably from start of pregame to end of postgame, four, maybe four and a half hours, given how long Major League Baseball games last these days. But it's it's super fun. Yeah, it definitely seems like that wouldn't be a job that ever gets boring. Well, I mean, and you know, baseball has a stat for everything and always has. And now in this era of advanced statistics and analytics that has multiplied exponentially and the group at ESPN, ESPN stats and info, I'm sure you've seen them on Twitter and I'm sure you've seen their work on ESPN.com. They are incredible. I mean, I can kind of just get lost in going down a rabbit hole on any single game going on in major league baseball in a day. The stuff that these folks come up with, uh, a lot of it I'll use in my reports and my updates. So, yeah, it's it's never boring, and it's always something different, which is one of the best parts of this job. Somebody's always handing you a WOBA or an XFIB. <laughs> <laughs> and you also serve as sports director at News 12 in the Bronx and Brooklyn. Well, again, um, something different every day. And it's certainly been interesting the last 13-plus months since we've been working from home primarily. But I've been with News 12 since uh, April of 2007, I've been the sports director with them since May of 2008. So that's that's my gig. That's my career. And that's my home. And, you know, my responsibilities, um, while different every day, generally are to uh, anchor our nightly sports cast uh, Monday through Friday 
and contribute feature stories to our 24-hour uh, cable news network uh, throughout the week. Again, it's always something different. Absolutely. So what started your interest in broadcasting, specifically sports broadcasting? How did you find yourself coming into this line of work? You know, it's the classic, I think, story of I had the tape recorder when I was younger, starting around 10 or 11 years old. I would turn down the sound watching the Yankee game. I grew up in Yonkers, New York, just outside of the Bronx. My dad was and is as big a Yankee fan as you'll find. So I became as big a Yankee fan as you'll find. And I would turn down the volume and I would do play by play. I had a scorebook. I would watch the games at home and I would keep score at home. I remember that was especially challenging during the All-Star game, back when they let pitchers hit in the All-Star game. All the changes and all the lineup changes. But you know what? I kept up to date. So I always had that level of interest in sports beyond a normal fan. And my friends growing up, we all played sports. We were all into sports. It wasn't until I was around 12 or 13 years old that I realized that my interest level in this was probably at a different point than theirs was. And they were great fans and they loved playing and they loved watching the games, but I never wanted to do anything in my life outside of sports. And I'm 41 years old now, knock on wood. I haven't had to do anything in my life outside of sports right now. So um, while it's nowhere close to being finished, it's been a pretty good run so far. You know, I was, I'm so old now that I was going to high school and college when people read newspapers. So I would, why well, I wanted to, my dream job, if you asked me in high school in the nineties, I wanted to be the beat writer for the New York Post for the Knicks. That was my dream job. The Knicks were huge back then. Obviously, the media business has certainly shifted, and it started to shift significantly when I was in college, uh, a perfect time for me because I was able to kind of switch my focus from print journalism to electronic journalism. And you had that dream job of working Knicks games. Maybe it didn't happen as a beat writer for the New York Post, but it did happen because you call Knicks games on the MSG radio network. Talk about that a little bit for us. My sixth season with them, and uh, similar role to my uh, role with uh, ESPN, uh, the network. I'm, a, I'm the studio host, so I host the pregame show, I host our halftime show, and I host our postgame show. I do the same work, not as consistently, with our Rangers broadcasts as well, pregame intermission reports and postgame reports. Uh, for me, I was always a baseball and a basketball guy. Um, and again, if you grew up where I grew up in the 90s, the Knicks were actually the thing. I mean, since then, it's been the Yankees. This has been a Yankees town big time from about 96 until present day. But when I was coming of age as a sports fan, when I was 12, 13, 14 years old in the early 1990s, the Knicks were the team. Um, so if you ask me then and you ask me now, what are your favorite moments growing up as a fan? It's as a Knicks fan. Which is interesting because then the Knicks went into kind of a two-decade period during which they weren't terribly relevant. Um, it looks like they're breaking out of that this year, which has been f phenomenal to be a part of. My role uh, with MSG Network uh, for the last six seasons has been to be a part of the radio broadcast team. And it's uh, Ed Cohen is our play-by-play -play announcer. And Brendan Brown, who's the son of the great um, Hubie Brown, is our color analyst. And I'm our studio host. And uh, we've got a great team. Let's try to bring it back to baseball because that is the point of this podcast. Let's talk a little bit about the other team in New York, the Mets. 
And I'm sure with all of the drama going on with them off the field over the past few years, that's been a huge story for you on News 12. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the Mets, they had that great run in 2015 and 2016. And you talk about, I just mentioned it in context of the Knicks, but the the, the unexpected seasons are, are, are the most fun ones. And that was 2015. I mean, the Mets went to the World Series in 2015. It's still kind of hard to believe the way that whole thing unfolded. And then, you know, the next year they get back to the playoffs and then slowly but surely they started to regress to the mean. And, you know, just... Uh, uh, a regime change. Sandy Alderson moves on. Um, you know, they bring in Brody Van Wagenen for a couple of years. He tried to swing for the fences with the Robinson Cano trade. And But you know, here's the thing with the Mets. All through this, they've had talent. They've actually been able to get back to the level they are right now, which I think is as a uh, clear contender to win their division, at least, because they have a lot of homegrown talent, the Pete Alonzos and the Michael Confortos. They have the best pitcher in baseball, in my opinion, who's homegrown, and Jacob DeGrom. And now they have an ownership group who has a plan and a commitment to putting the best possible product on the field in Steve Cohen that is going to be able to supplement the homegrown talent. The biggest example of that, of course, Francisco Lindor. And then right before the season starts, they sign him to a long-term contract extension. It's like a new world for the Mets, and it's a new world for Mets fans. I'm really happy for them. Doing what I do now, every I think everybody who goes into the sports media business, you grew up a fan of some team. I grew up a Yankees fan. I grew up a Knicks fan. I, I don't hide that. But I've also been doing this now for 14 years. You know, when I was 14 years old, yeah, I hate the Mets, just like everybody hates the Mets. I don't hate the Mets. This is my job. I want everybody to be good. I tell people all the time who I grew up with, they're like, oh, it must kill you to cover the Mets. It doesn't kill me to cover the Mets. The last time I went to the World Series – was in 2015. It was because of the Mets. Now, you don't think I would love to cover the World Series this year, whether it's at City Field or Yankee Stadium? So when you're doing what I do, what we do, every, everything's better. Your job is easier. It's a lot more fun. More people are watching. More people are listening. More people are reading when your teams that you cover are better. And then as the Irish Baseball Podcast, let's get into just a little bit your name, obviously, is Pat O'Keefe, so you're not hiding anything from anybody. <laughs> so if we could talk maybe a little bit about your Irish heritage and how that informs even your broadcasting career, what you take from that heritage into your job, into your life. Well, my grandparents were from County Kerry, Ireland. Uh, they immigrated to New York City, and they settled in the Woodlawn section of the Bronx, and raised their family there. My father was the youngest of six. Uh, Woodlawn was when they were growing up, and this was back, you know, in the 50s and the 60s, when neighborhoods were, you know, separated by ethnicities. There was the Italian neighborhood, there was the Jewish neighborhood. Woodlawn was definitively the Irish neighborhood in the Bronx. Um, obviously, now we're in 2021, and things have changed, and there's a lot more diversity. Back then, it was hard to find anybody in that neighborhood that wasn't not only Irish, but whose parents hadn't immigrated from Ireland. Uh, so that was my dad's upbringing. My grandfather, who passed away in 1994, so I got to know him for the first 15 years of my life. And he was incredible about teaching myself and the rest of his grandchildren about not only the history of um, our family, but of 
Irish history and the Irish heritage. It was something he was extremely proud of. And my father has kind of taken the mantle from him and, and, and carried that on. And it's something that was always ingrained in me and always instilled in me. And it's something that I'm extremely proud of. Uh, you know, it was a big part of my growing up, you know, going to um, the St. Patrick's Day Parade and marching in the St. Patrick's Day Parade under the banner of County Kerry, where my family was from. I believe my grandfather and my father were the first father-son to both serve as the president of the uh, Kerry P&B Association. Um, so it's something that my heritage has always been in, in, ingrained in me, and it's always been a part of me. When you go out and you encounter more people and, and your world broadens, you realize that not everybody grew up with that, no matter what their lineage is. Um, I'm... I feel fortunate because that was a big part of my upbringing, um, knowing where my family came from and being proud of uh, my heritage. And that's that's a big part of, and then the other thing is, look, I talk for a living. And they've always said the Irish had a gift for gab, right? So that certainly has served me well in my career. It has certainly served me well hosting this podcast because I don't have to ask too many questions to get a full interview out of most of the people I interview. So Pat O'Keefe, thank you so much for joining us today. It was really a fun conversation. It was Rick. Thanks so much. That was Pat O'Keefe, sports director at News 12 in the Bronx and Brooklyn on the Irish Baseball Podcast. I'm Rick Becker, and I'm going to turn things over to my colleague, Jim Ward, who's going to go in depth with an audio clip. Take it away, Jim. Thanks, Rick. We're now going to feature a clip featuring Rick interviewing Christopher Klein. Christopher Klein is the author of four books, including When the Irish Invaded Canada and Strong Boy, The Life and Times of John L. Sullivan, America's First Sports Hero. In episode five of the Irish Baseball Podcast, you can hear Rick's interview with Klein about When the Irish Invaded Canada. You can listen to that at irishbaseball.org. In this clip, Christopher discusses Strong Boy and how boxing became an important part in the Irish-American identity. So, I mean, you will find that these um, these boxing matches in the, you know, let's say 1840s up through probably the 1900s, you, you do, for the, for the Irish, it is a way to express their identity in these boxing matches or in a way they're sort of proxy fights. So when the Irish come to the country in the 1840s and they're facing uh, the backlash from the know-nothings and the nativists in the 1840s and 1850s, I mean, it was a huge thing to have an Irishman in the ring against a native-born American. And you would have native-born Americans backing the fighter coming in the ring with the stars and stripes on and the Irish fire coming in, you know, wearing green or maybe have a, a harp as part of their emblem. And it really is a way to sort of express that identity and give communities a rooting interest. You know, pretty similar when you get into the time of, the, of Jack Johnson, when African-Americans are being allowed to fight for the heavyweight championship and how it is a representative, it's representative really of a coming of age uh, for a community. So when Sullivan becomes the heavyweight champion of the world and is viewed as the most powerful man in the world, usually symbolic for a people who 
a generation ago were coming to the country hungry, poor, sick, and now one of theirs is the symbol of the most powerful man in the world. So it, it, there is that symbolism there that you don't necessarily get from baseball team where I think that's more regional pride, city-based pride. I think that's where you have that assimilation coming in, right? So it's, it is more about your civic pride as opposed to an ethnic pride um, that you would find in the boxing ring. That was author Christopher Klein speaking with our own Rick Becker about Strongboy and how boxing became an important part in the Irish-American identity here on the Irish Baseball Podcast. And boxing in Ireland and the Irish boxers are, have been nothing new. Uh, you know, the Irish boxer uh, and boxing in Ireland has really been one of those sports where it does unite the country. Now, Ireland gets united when, you know, the Irish uh, national team in soccer make it to the World Cup, whether it's, you know, there or in the rugby, uh, when they play in uh, the World Rugby Tournaments. And uh, uh, and it, it's an amazing thing how the country gets together and nothing brings the country more together than the uh, Irish football uh, and the Irish hurling, where all 32 counties, regardless of if you're north of the border or south of the border or wherever you are, whether you're from Louth or Tyrone or Kerry or Dublin or Cork or Tipperary, um, it's sport is just amazing and what brings this little country together. And, and it, it's not only just the Irish in Ireland, it's the Irish around the world. And Christopher kind of talks about that because the boxing especially, I mean, you go back to in 85 when the Kelowna Cyclone, Barry McGuigan fought and uh, won, won the title. And then Katie Taylor, the Bray uh, uh, bomber and uh, also known as simply the best, uh, the Olympic champion and currently the undisputed lightweight champion of the world in women's boxing, uh, is you know, has brought Ireland together again. Uh, and when she won the gold medal, uh, you could the place went ecstatic. And and then she was all over Irish television, whether it was the Late Late Show or an Irish radio. And it was the same thing with Barry McGuigan. And Barry often had his bouts in Belfast, and he would always fly under the tricolor, and they would always sing the anthem, and Danny Boy, and it really, the whole country would shut down when when these iconic superstars were fighting, and it was, it's the same thing when they make the World Cup and all these things. So sport and boxing especially, and it was really amazing about John Sullivan, and his middle name, by the way, Lawrence, uh, who was, he was actually born in Roxbury, Massachusetts, his mother, uh, Catherine Kelly, came from Athlone in County Westmeath, and his dad, Mike Sullivan, was from Abbey Dorney in County Kerry, and they emigrated to Boston and to Roxbury, and then, uh, lo and behold, John was born in 1858, and they say the rest is history, but it wasn't really the perfect uh, childhood for John Sullivan. He actually... Had his, his parents inspired him to enter the priesthood as a Roman Catholic priest, and uh, to this end, they enrolled him at Boston College to do so in 1875, but only after a few months, he turned to playing baseball professionally, which I didn't know about, and then earning substantial sums of 30 to $40 a week for his efforts, and as he recalled, he said he threw my books aside and gave myself up to it. This is how I got into baseball 
profession, and I left school for good and all. From the baseball business, I drifted into boxing and pugilism, and as they say, the rest is history. And uh, uh, certainly some uh, great uh, books have been written about John uh, L. Sullivan, and uh, Christopher Klein's book is absolutely a fantastic book. And all you can find it all about that book and all his books at ChristopherKlein.com. And uh, he's written not only When the Irish Invaded Canada, uh, there's Strong Boy. There's a diehard sports fan's guide to Boston and uh, the Boston Harbor Islands. And again, they can all be found on Christopher's uh, website at ChristopherKlein.com. And you can learn more about Christopher there. And if you want to hear more of Rick Becker's interview with Christopher Klein from our earlier episode, episode number five, or any of our episodes in our series here on the Irish Baseball Podcast, Head on over to irishbaseball.org as well as find out more about some of the great uh, new things that are happening with the Irish American Baseball Society, including some new swag that you can pick up. It's all available to you at irishbaseball.org. I'm Jim Ward. Let's send you back to Rick Becker here on the Irish Baseball Podcast. Thank you, Jim. I'm Rick Becker. The Irish Baseball Podcast is brought to you by the Irish American Baseball Society. John Fitzgerald is the founder of the Irish American Baseball Society and the Baseball United Foundation. Go to BaseballUnitedFoundation.org to get more information on the foundation's work at promoting baseball with youth in Northern Ireland. John is going to wrap up today's episode with some Irish American baseball history. Hi, I'm John Fitzgerald, the founder of the Irish American Baseball Society. And today I'd like to tell you about an Irish baseball legend named Johnny Murphy. Johnny Murphy was born in the Bronx on July 14, 1908. His parents, Michael and Hannah, were both from County Kerry. Murphy played for Fordham Prep and Fordham University. He was signed by the Yankees in 1929. Johnny Murphy broke into the major leagues as a starting pitcher in 1934, but he soon became one of the top relief pitchers of his era. Over the course of his career, Johnny Murphy appeared in 415 games. He had 93 wins and 53 losses for a 637 winning percentage. He led relief pitchers in wins seven times, and he led the league in saves four times. Murphy won seven World Series rings with the Yankees, the most by any pitcher in baseball history. In World Series games, he posted a record of 2-0 with four saves and an ERA of 1.10. Murphy spent his final season with the Boston Red Sox. He is one of the only players who was teammates with Babe Ruth, Joe DiMaggio, and Ted Williams. Murphy served as director of minor league operations for the Red Sox for 13 seasons. In 1961, he took a job in the Mets' front office. In 1967, he took over as general manager of the Mets, and he was responsible for hiring legendary Mets manager Gil Hodges. Under the leadership of Murphy and Hodges, the Mets won their first World Series title in 1969. Sadly, Johnny Murphy suffered a heart attack and died before the 1970 season. For more information on Johnny Murphy and other Irish baseball legends, visit the Irish American Baseball Society at irishbaseball.org. This has been episode 11 of the Irish Baseball Podcast from my colleague Jim Ward, who discussed some audio from author Christopher Klein, John Fitzgerald, and my guest, Pat O'Keefe, sports director at News 12 in the Bronx and Brooklyn. I'm Rick Becker on the Irish Baseball Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Irish Baseball Podcast. The Irish Baseball Podcast is a production of the Irish American Baseball Society. Visit us online at irishbaseball.org and connect with us on social media. And remember, there's no place like home.